You are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to tune in today. Joining me on today's program in the second and third segments is returning guest, Mr. Carl Denninger. Going to chat today with Carl about what's going on in the economy. Uh, We're also going to go there. Yeah, we're going to talk a little politics in the third segment as well. So encourage you to stay tuned for that. It is the month of December, which means I have more information for you if you'd like, absolutely free and without obligation. I do have the December newsletter, client-only newsletter titled a You May Not Know Report. And in the report, I talk about predictable economic outcomes, predictable investing outcomes, if you will. I'm going to talk about that in this first segment today as well. But if you'd like to get a copy of the full newsletter and when available, when you request the December newsletter, I'll also get you a copy of the revised revenue sourcing book. Uh, This has been completely revised for calendar year 2024. So to get the newsletter and to get the book when it becomes available, it will be the end of December or first part of January. Simply go to requestyourreport.com and let me know where to mail all this information. You'll immediately get the December client newsletter, and when available, you'll get a copy of the revised revenue sourcing book, which was a bestseller when released in 2020. So that launch will be happening again the end of December, first part of January. Just go to requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail that information. Now, way back in 2011, I wrote a book called Economic Consequences, and in that book, I suggested that debt levels were too high to ever be repaid, and the outcome of that would be deflation, and I'll talk more about that in this segment. Now, prior to that, I suggested that the Federal Reserve, which If you're a longtime listener to the program, you know that is the Central Bank of the United States. It is a private bank. And I predicted that the Fed would engage in currency creation to attempt to stave off deflation. Now, that's exactly what they've done. Now, whether you call it currency creation or use the more academic term that the Fed uses, quantitative easing, it all means the same thing. Ultimately, I suggested back in 2011 that the end result, the end outcome for the economy and the end outcome for investing markets would be inflation followed by deflation. And certainly over the past few years, we have seen deflation. But if you go all the way back to 1971, that's when this whole process started. In 1971, then-President Richard Nixon eliminated the link between the U.S. dollar and gold. From 1944 to 1971, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold. Any foreign entity or foreign investor holding U.S. dollars could exchange them for gold at a rate of $35 an ounce. In 1971, in August to be precise, President Nixon eliminated that link between the dollar and gold, and from that point on, U.S. dollars have been loaned into existence with the Federal Reserve increasing interest rates whenever the central bank wanted to uh, get inflation under control and reducing interest rates when they wanted to create more inflation uh, and, and create this what I'll call prosperity illusion. 
Now, as I talked about in 2011, and as uh, I talked about again in the uh, new retirement rules book, and then in the revenue sourcing book, that interest rate manipulation, to use that term, and, and this is attempted to achieve a desired economic outcome, this interest rate manipulation only works while there is capacity in the financial system for debt accumulation. Now, there's a lot there. So let me explain what I mean by that. Starting in 1971, U.S. dollars were loaned into existence. There was something called a reserving rule put in place. So those reserving rules are still in place today. If you go put money in your bank, let's say you put $100,000 in your bank, that banker has to reserve at least 10% or $10,000 and can loan out the other $90,000. And as money is loaned from bank to bank, more currency is created. So when the Federal Reserve wants to, from 1971 went on, when they want to create inflation or a, uh, a period of economic prosperity, and I'll again use the term prosperity illusion, they would simply reduce interest rates because the lower the interest rate, the more interest there is in consumers and businesses borrowing money. And when consumers and businesses borrow money, more money is created. Now, that works until the system reaches its capacity for debt. At that point, this manipulation or adjustment, whatever term you want to use, but this changing of interest rates quits working. Now, that's where we were in 2008 at the time of the financial crisis. We had Ben Bernanke, who was chair of the Federal Reserve in 2008, who reduced interest rates to zero. Nothing happened. It was the first time since 1971 that reducing interest rates didn't result in a jumpstart to the economy. It was the first time that consumers weren't running out and borrowing money to create even more money. It was at that point that the Fed began a temporary, their words, not mine, emergency program of quantitative easing or currency creation from thin air, to be accurate, to attempt to boost the economy. Now, we've all lived through that. And it seemed to work for a while. Real estate prices soared. Stocks rallied. And while all this currency creation was taking place, debt in both the private sector and on the balance sheet of the U.S. government continued to build. Relatively speaking, the growth in debt levels was slow at first, but then grew exponentially. Debt levels grew at about the same pace as currency was created. Well, there was this prosperity illusion that existed for a while, as you all know, but that gave way to inflation. And despite some of the victory laps being taken by some of the politicians, we all know if we've been to the grocery store, inflation is still not subdued and deflationary signs are now beginning to come into view. Now, this is totally predictable. When you study history, currency creation occurs whenever debt levels are too big to manage with more honest means, like raising taxes or cutting spending. 
or perhaps the political will does not exist to cut spending. And once currency creation starts, debt levels build and you get inflation initially, but then you get a deflationary period of time, not unlike the 1930s. Now, as we sit here at the first part of December 2023, we are now seeing deflationary signs that are beginning to come into view. Now, this is totally predictable because of the facts that we've discussed in this segment. One, currency is debt. Two, when debt goes unpaid, the currency supply contracts. And three, when debt levels are too high to ever be paid, deflation becomes inevitable. Now, as I have previously noted here on the program, at the time of the financial crisis, total debt levels worldwide stood at $100 trillion. Now, that's a huge number. That's really difficult to get your head around, but $100 trillion is the economic output of the United States over four years, and the United States has by far the largest economy in the world. So at the time of the financial crisis, total debt levels worldwide stood at $100 trillion, and presently, after a period of time, more than a decade of currency creation, worldwide debt levels stand at more than $330 trillion. So currency creation in ever-increasing quantities since the time of the financial crisis has not only created inflation, it's also caused debt levels to explode. Now, as I just stated, signs of deflation are now materializing. Existing home sales have now fallen to levels not seen since 2010. There was an article published on Zero Hedge that commented, and I'm going to give you just a bit from that article, with housing affordability at its lowest since the early 1980s and home builder sentiment slumping as mortgage rates rise, it's no surprise that analysts expected home sales in October to tumble 1.5% month over month. Now that means analysts were expecting home sales to drop from September to October 1.5%. Sales actually fell almost three times that, 4.1% month over month, and year over year, down 14.6%. In fact, if you take a look at home sales, if you go all the way back to October of 2021, there's been only two months that home sales have been higher. That's going back more than two years. So that is a sign that deflation may be here. Now, in the fourth segment of today's program, I'm going to talk to you more about some strategies you might consider to protect yourself and perhaps even profit from what lies ahead. However, let me remind you, if you're just joining me, I do have available for you the December 2023 special report where we talk about predictable economic outcomes. You can go to requestyourreport.com and get that. And also, when you request the report, when available, I'll send you a copy of the just updated revenue sourcing book. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is Mr. Carl Denninger. Longtime listeners will recommend will recognize Carl as a returning guest. He is the commentator and the proprietor, I guess that's the right word to use, at market-ticker.org. That's market-ticker.org. He is a prolific commentator. I've followed his work for many years and uh, would encourage you to do the same. Carl, welcome back to the program, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Carl, we were talking a bit before we started recording today that uh, we have had an inverted yield curve for a bit over a year. Can can you explain to the listeners um, a bit, first of all, what that is, and then in your view, what does that mean? Sure. Well, the the premise is that is that time has value. Okay. So if you want to borrow money, it should cost you a higher interest rate to borrow that money for a longer period of time. And that's just because nobody can ever have today back. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how rich you are. There's, there's no way to do that. So as a result, uh, the value of time should always mean that the cost of borrowing money for a longer period is more expensive. When the curve inverts, what that means is that the short-term cost of borrowing is higher than the long-term cost. And what this says is that the bond market believes that economic conditions will be nastier tomorrow than they are today. Why? Because, well, rates will go down. That's basically what the what the market is expecting to happen. Why would rates go down? Well, rates will go down because people are losing their jobs and there's a recession. <laughs> okay. So, that, and then uh, the other thing that could make rates go down would be if Congress was to ever balance their budget, which, uh, you know, is about as likely as, uh, as Jesus showing up in my doorstep in the morning. But, uh, those are the, you know, those are kind of the drivers. And so it's normally what happens when there's a recession on the way is that the curve inverts. And then it goes back to positive, but it's it's rather rare for the curve to stay inverted like this for this length of time. Uh, the last time that we had a positive uh, curve was was around September, the end of September of last year, and it started to decline and went into the it went into negative territory uh, in the middle of October, and it's been there since. Uh, that's October twenty two. Okay, so it's been over a year now. And that length of time is extraordinary. It looked like we were possibly headed towards the curve uh, going back positive about a month ago. And uh, that uh, has turned out to not be true. So, Carl, uh, when you look at the economy, in your view, do you think we're in recession now? Um, Yes, but the question the, the question is how you define that, okay, because... If you take a look at, for example, the retail sales report, the last one that came out, uh, the advancement in the retail sales over a year ago values everywhere except in on-store, in uh, out-store, in other words, uh, you know, Amazon, okay, online. Uh, everywhere else was negative in inflation-adjusted dollars because the March report, which is what it's called, uh, is not in inflation-adjusted dollars. It's in gross amount spent. So you have to subtract back out of that whatever the inflation rate is. And even using the government's claimed inflation rate, which is fanciful nonsense, uh, there's those those values were negative. 
the one exception was again in the in the online marketplaces, which have been growing uh, in terms of dollar value for a very long time. So, I mean, if the, if that was to ever go negative in inflation adjusted terms, I think we'd be in a depression, not a recession at this point. Uh, but that's the you know that's what the, that data says, uh, and when you look at that. Uh, then you have to look at things like the GDP report and say, well, how do you, how do you get a positive GDP report, uh, in real terms, which they claim is in fact the case when, uh, it, it's, I mean, you know, Mar- Marts is, uh, that's, that's retail sales. I mean, that's, that's actual sales to actual people. I don't know how you argue with those, you know, with those numbers. That's the number that rang on the cash register. You know, Carl, you also talked about uh, the fact, you know, that the, the, the U.S. government having a balanced budget could uh, could make rates fall. Um, I certainly agree with the likelihood of that happening. And uh, we really don't need to look a lot further than the most recent um, U.S. government bond auction that was a dismal failure. It seems that uh, the U.S. and the U.S. dollar are continuing to lose favor around the world. Well, uh, you know, that's a that's kind of an interesting um, uh situation because if you look at if you look at the the actual data on the dollar um the 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 dollar is not losing favor if you want to look at it from the standpoint of where it actually is all right i mean um you know, where where have we been where are we going well the the dxy which is the trade weighted dollar index is uh, is still well over 100 so 102 ish and uh, it's been trading in that general area for uh, you know for the last quite some time. Um, it did get up as far as uh, 115, close to 115, uh, back in uh, 2022. But it by no stretch of the imagination is collapsing. And to put uh, to put kind of a some context on this, back at the time of the uh, the great financial crisis and the crash, uh, it traded down around 70. Okay, now that's that's a huge huge difference. Right? We're nowhere near there. But what is happening is that the the ability to hide inflation, which our government takes great advantage of uh, through the advancement of trade. In other words, if you, if you start with a trillion dollars worth of trade in a year, and you go to a trillion five. Uh, during the time that those goods and services are in transit, somebody has to be holding money. Because the guy who made the thing wants to get paid, and the guy who is buying the thing has to pay, and that cash has to be sequestered somewhere. Well, that has all been done in dollars, and as that expands, that gives you a temporary $500 billion worth of deficit spending that doesn't result in inflation. Congress has gotten drunk on this, and so has the American consumer. The idea that you should be able to get a 3% mortgage is absolutely ludicrous. In a zero-inflation environment, uh, you're yes, perhaps, but in a two percent inflation environment, which is what the Fed says is their preferred, uh, your your thirty year mortgage rate should be about six. I'm chatting today with Mr. Carl Denninger. He is a prolific commentator. You can read his work at market-ticker.org. I'd encourage you to do that. And uh, Carl, when when you uh, take a look at some of the other economic data. Um, uh, I think uh, housing sales are now uh, equal to uh, 2010. They have fallen off, not a surprise, with higher interest rates. Um, the used car index, the Mannheim used car index down. There's a lot of signs that 
we may be seeing the beginning of this debt starting to unwind, uh, this, this, this deflation. Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of happy face stuff going on, particularly in real estate, but the, the market is essentially locked right now because so many people took out, uh, you know, 2%, 2.5% mortgages during the pandemic. And and if you could refinance into that, in a lot of cases, people did. Uh, and then you had a, a large number of people that thought that remote work was never going to go away, and they moved to cheaper places to try to arbitrage, uh, you know, a job in California, for example, where they were getting paid substantially more money because the cost of living is higher. Uh, so you know, so we all right, let's move to Arkansas. And, you know, we're, we're going to be working on Zoom for the rest of our natural lives. Well, that hasn't worked out so well. And so they're stuck, but there's a problem with that. And that is that as people get into a situation where they can't access any more credit, but they've built up this idea that they should be able to spend more than they make, uh, and the inflationary consequences start to catch up with them, they get forced into refinancing at terms that they don't want. And that is going to start to force sales. I, I don't I don't see a lot of evidence of it yet, but it's coming. Uh, and then you have the Airbnb craze in a lot of places, including where I live. Uh, and now I'm, I'm seeing an awful lot of listings of stuff that was started during the pandemic years. Uh, they are now being completed. And uh, these developers seem to think that they're going to be you know, getting them at the at the sort of fill rates and pricing that was going on when Tennessee was wide open for business and uh, all the states around us were locked down. And therefore, you know, we had three times the demand of everybody else. Well, that's not true anymore. And so the, you know, the booking rates and the pricing has collapsed. Um, that's that's going to lead to some problems for those people that, uh, you know, that overpaid for these things in the first place. Well, Carl, when you when you look at you mentioned credit too. I mean, there's there's some signs that we're we're nearing the end of the road there. At least in my view, I mean, credit card debt is at all time highs. Delinquencies are now rising. Um, you know, the 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 consumer out there has gone through all of the savings for the most part that they have that they accumulated during the pandemic when you know all the easy money was floating around. Uh, I think I read that uh, you know personal savings has gone from like two trillion to one hundred ninety billion. Uh, isn't this day of reckoning, uh, you know, isn't it really imminent at this point? Oh, oh yeah, I think it is. I mean, we've got a, the, the credit card debt issue is very real. And what I'm, what I'm seeing in a lot of places is, and it's, and it's spotty, it's not everywhere yet, but I'm seeing a lot of slowdown in that area. Uh, you know, we had the Black Friday flyers that came around and, uh, Bass Pro, you know, that ate Kabila's tried to get in front of everybody by starting their sales on Monday morning at seven o'clock uh, instead of, you know, on Friday. <laughs> well, I went over there on Monday morning at seven o'clock and there were three of us in the store. Wow. And so, I mean, you know, when, when you're outnumbered better than two to one by staff members, uh, that's a problem. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there were cars all over the place here, but I don't, I don't know about bags. And as I've, as I've tried to explain to people before, when it comes to, you know, holiday sales in particular, you can look at all the traffic in the mall you want. It doesn't matter how many people have bags in their hand. That's what counts. Well, I'm chatting to Mr. Carl Denninger. His blog can be read at market-ticker.org. And uh, the good news is I've got one more segment to chat with Carl. So stay with us. We'll be back after these words.
I'm Dennis Tubergen, your host. You are listening to RLA Radio, and I have the pleasure of chatting once again today uh, with Mr. Carl Denninger. You can read Carl's work at market-ticker.org. I'd encourage you to do that. The website, again, market-ticker.org. Carl, another uh, statistic, just to kind of pick up where we left off in the last segment, that uh, really uh, makes me wonder what the what the Fed's policy will be moving ahead is that uh, I believe the U.S. government has more than $7 trillion in debt that's got to be refinanced over the next year. And a lot of that debt now uh, is being carried at very, very low interest rates, you know, say less than 1%. And when you take a look at the rate now at which that'll be refinanced, it's five plus percent. So uh, what what impact do you think that has on first U.S. government finances and then secondly, the the overall economy? Well, it's a it's a very serious issue for the for the federal government, because, uh, you know, there are people saying that the, you know, the government will not be able to fund uh, it's it's spending. That's not true. The, the the bonds will sell. The question is at what price. And back for those of us that are old enough to remember it, uh, when Clinton was president, uh, he originally wanted to do what ultimately ended up being Obamacare, uh, essentially. It was Hillary's proposal, and uh, he also wanted to spend a great deal of money in deficit. And the bond market started to have somewhat of a hissy fit about this. And he got rather impolitely told that, uh, well, you know, you can pass whatever you want. However, if, you know, if interest rates skyrocket, uh, there's going to be a serious problem. And the primary dealers, which are the large banks, that, uh, you know, they, they do have an agreement that they will buy the debt. But that agreement does not specify at what price. And so, and so that's the problem that, that you run into here with this is that as this occurs, uh, the government is going to eventually, and, and I think Powell will eventually have to go to Congress and have to go to Biden's administration and tell him, look, um, you know, you were warned about this by Ben Bernanke during the great financial crisis that, you know, that they were doing QE and they were doing these things, but it had a use by date. And that you could get away with this for a while. Uh, and, and Bernanke actually put about a 10-year time window on this and said, this is about how far we can go with it before it comes apart in your face. And uh, we're kind of there. So you folks are sort of out of out of rope on this, and you need to cut it out. And if you don't, uh, we cannot shield you from what the market is going to do to borrowing costs. And that's going to hit everything in the economy. Because it's not just limited to government debt. Everything else gets priced off of that. I mean, why Why would you loan a business or a person money at 5% if you can get it at 6 or 7 and it's 100% safe but for, you know, a revolution? And then, of course, nobody cares anything about money at all, right? So why would you make a private loan if you could give it to the U.S. Treasury at, you know, at 7? Well, you would not do it for less than 7. You'd demand more than that. And so – when that sort of thing backs up, it all filters through everything else. It goes into car prices, car loans, uh, mortgages, credit cards, everything, and in all areas of the economy because how many businesses uh, have an operating line of credit? They have a revolver, and that's what they're running on most of their time as well. And, Carl, I think the other thing that uh, is really going to be a headwind moving ahead is uh, banks are starting to really pull back, and and, and credit is tightening. Um, you know, the, the, doesn't this all have to, to hit the fan to use that term next year sometime? Yeah, I think it does. And, uh, 
you know, in the in the 1990s, in the, the late 80s and the early 90s, uh, there were a couple of these the little shocks, if you will, that were nowhere near as bad as as the kind of thing that I think is likely to come here. Uh, they were tremendous opportunities for me. It was part of the reason that I was able to do what I did with my internet firm because we were able to take advantage of other people's distress. Uh, but I also knew people that that ended up on the wrong side of that. Um, and uh, one of them was a friend of mine who had a small manufacturing outfit, nicely profitable. He had an operating line of credit. The bank called it. He couldn't replace it. It literally put him out of business. And this was not a firm that was operating at a loss. Okay, but he had to have that operating line in order to be able to, you know, because people don't pay you instantly. And and you have to be able to finance your inventory until, you know, until you make your stuff and you sell it. And he could not replace that line, and it, it literally tanked his company. So, you know, that kind of thing, I think, is going to start. The other thing that's going to happen with people that have HELOCs and other open lines of credit is that they're going to get slammed down to the open balance. And you're going to start to see that happen with credit cards as well. That's especially nasty if it happens with credit cards because it whacks your utilization, if, and that's a big part of your credit score. So if you go from you know using 10% of your credit to all of a sudden using 60 because the bank turns your line down to whatever your open balance is, uh, that could easily take 50 points off your score in a day. So, Carl, when, when we look at this uh, with, with rising interest rates, uh, Obviously, um, there are a lot of IRA owners, a lot of uh, 401k investors that invest in the traditional 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. If you're in bond funds in a climate of rising interest rates, as we already know, uh, that is a surefire way to lose money. And certainly stocks here uh, have not made it back to the highs they saw at the end of 2021. So What's your forecast, uh, given everything we've talked about here, for that traditional 60-40 investment portfolio? Well, remember, if you're if you're in bonds and you're actually buying treasuries, you don't lose principal. Where you lose money is in bond funds because of the redemptions. So the you know the person that has a a you know a two year bond uh, that they that they bought a couple of years ago and is going to mature. They could buy one today; it would pay a much higher rate of interest. But they're but they're not out of any capital. They just they're they're forced to sit on it. Where you end up taking a capital loss is if you have to sell the position early. And if you're in a fund, that happens because people get out of there, <laughs> and as they do, exactly. yeah. So I mean, yeah, yeah that's, and that's what I was that's what I was talking about. Most people in an IRA and four hundred one k you know invest in funds, right? And if you're if you're in a bond fund, yeah, that's that's real serious. But a lot of that damage has already happened, right? I mean, you take a look at the the domestic bond funds that are out there and, and good Lord, the, you know, the, some of those have lost 30, 40% of the value over the last year. Uh, so that damage has already been taken. And then the other, the other thing that you're likely to see though, is I, I think you're going to see a, you know, as a tightening of credit gets into corporates, you're going to see PEs come in massively. And as a result, that means prices are going to go down and probably a lot. So I would not be at all surprised if sometime in the next year or so we see a 30 or even larger percent drawdown in all the indices. So, Kyle, what what would somebody do now if they've got money in an IRA or a 401k, in your view? What, what asset class do you like, if any? Well, I right now, I mean, you, you're getting paid 5% plus, 5, 5.5 just being in short-term treasuries. 
What's the problem with that? I mean, does it, is it as good as inflation? No, but it beats losing a third of your money. For sure. So let's talk a little on the time we have left. Let's 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 talk a little politics. Uh, dangerous subject, obviously. But uh, looking ahead to uh, 2024 being an election year um, at this point, how do you see things playing out on a national level? Well, I don't know. Um, I, <laughs> it's very difficult because we have uh, perhaps the two most unlikable obvious front runners you know biden of course is obviously the you know the the uh the presumptive democratic nominee there's a lot of murmuring going on that the the democratic party is going to try to find a way between the convention and the general election to force him out which would allow them to name a replacement you're not entitled to another vote at a primary level the the party internal machinery would be the one to make that decision which would be really interesting if that was to happen um, obviously if it happens before the convention, then, you know, then the dynamics are different. The, the other problem you have is that you've, you've got a couple of people that are making serious noises about a real no BS third party, uh, attempt and mansions, one of them. And the other one is RFK. All right. Now, neither of them is likely to be, to have any reasonable possibility of winning. However, they skew the outcome dramatically, much like what happened with Perot. And both of those people are quite capable of drawing significant percentage of the vote. This is not like a libertarian candidate is going to pull 1%. It's not going to work that way. It's going to be something significant. Uh, and then on the Republican side, the, the, you know, the, the obvious expectation is that Trump is going to be the nominee. Uh, however, Trump has something like 90 pending federal felony charges against him. <laughs> um, I, who knows how that plays out? Okay. So, I mean, I, there's a lot of balls in the air right now. It'd be easy to try to handicap this if you are reasonably sure it's going to be Trump versus Biden. I think Biden loses, but there's so many balls in the air in terms of how, you know, who's actually going to be on the ticket come next November. I, I don't even know that we can reasonably guess for that. I wouldn't be surprised to see Gavin Newsom, uh, end up on the Democratic side of the ticket at all. But I think he loses in the general if the if they're crazy enough to do that. Well, and particularly if we see a lot of these, um, you know, economic inevitabilities that we've been discussing on today's program play out. If that happens to happen, happens to play out rather before the uh, November election, that certainly is uh, going to skew or or sway a lot of people's opinions as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, you know, look at the possibility with all the all these migrants that have come into the United States over the last couple of years. And then the, the situation in San Francisco with, you know, with people, uh, you know, defecating in the middle of the street. And and all of a sudden it magically goes away because the Chinese president shows up for a convention and they kind of shuffled it off. OK, and you put Newsom on the ticket and then have the economic picture darken substantially. Unemployment starts to spike. And everybody looks at the migrant situation and where all that money's going and goes, hey, wait a minute. This this clown out here was responsible for an awful lot of that in California. Do I want that guy in the left seat at a national level? I, You know, that's the kind of thing. I, it's a wild card. It's very difficult to know how that all plays out. But I but I would say that the, that the probability is quite high um, and economic dislocations always hurt the incumbent. So, I mean, that's, you know, you look at what happened back in 2008. Okay. 
Um, you know, it wasn't just that a lot of people didn't like Hillary. It was also that Lehman Brothers blew up and uh, the housing market exploded. Yeah, well, the clock says, Carl, we're going to have to leave it there. My guest today has been Mr. Carl Denninger. His website is market-ticker.org. The website, again, market-ticker.org. I'd encourage you to check it out. Carl, always get terrific feedback when when you're on the program. Appreciate you joining us today, and uh, love to have you back after the first of the year for an update. Sounds good to me. We will return after these words. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to Mr. Carl Denninger for joining us on today's program. You know, in the first segment of today's program, I talked about the fact that uh, back in 2011, in my book, Economic Consequences, I wrote about the fact that we were headed for an environment that would have inflation, and then that inflation would be followed by deflation. That seems to be where we are headed here at the first part of December 2023. The Wall Street Journal reported that credit card loans are still growing. Now, keep in mind, the amount of money, the amount of debt that consumers are holding on credit cards is already at an all-time high. However, the Wall Street Journal reported that credit card loans rose 1.6% in October over September. Now, keep in mind, in the first segment, I talked about the fact that in October, home sales were down more than 14% year over year. So while home sales are down, while the housing market is cooling, we've got credit card debt growing. Now, typically this time of year, you do see credit card loans grow, but the average moving from September to October is 0.7% we saw something more than twice that, 1.6%. We're also seeing that the delinquency rate on credit card debt is jumping. Now, this time of year, as the holidays approach, you always see credit card delinquencies increase. Goldman suggests that typically you see a 0.06% very negligible number, increase in delinquencies. We are now up 1.6% charge-offs, debt that banks say we're never going to collect it, jumped to 0.77% compared with a more normal 0.18%. Now, what does all this mean? Well, you'd have to conclude that Americans are starting to feel the pinch. The Federal Reserve Bank of Boston recently released a report that confirms this. The Federal Reserve Bank of Boston reported that household incomes, households with incomes of less than $50,000 were utilizing 80 to 90% of their available credit. So where does that put these consumers if they have an emergency? They've already got their credit card almost maxed out. Now, we haven't seen numbers that large since February of 2020, when COVID hit. 
Schiff Gold reported that Americans are increasingly digging into their retirement accounts to pay their bills. This from an article from Schiff Gold, quote, Mainstream financial pundits, politicians, and Fed officials keep telling us the economy is strong because American keep, Americans keep spending money. They just assume this is a sign of economic strength without ever asking how they're paying for all this robust spending. The fact is, Americans have blown through their savings, they're maxing out their credit cards, and now they're digging into their retirement savings to maintain this involuntary spending spree caused by price inflation. As prices skyrocketed last year, Americans blew through their savings to make ends meet. Aggregate savings peaked at $2.1 trillion in August of 2021. As of June 2023, 22 months later, the San Francisco Federal Reserve estimated the aggregate savings had dropped to $190 billion. That means in 22 months, Americans blew through $2 trillion in savings. That is not a trivial point. Once they did that, based upon what we're seeing as far as credit card numbers, they then turned to their credit cards. Credit card balances increased by 4.7% to a record $1.08 trillion in the third quarter of this year. Year-over-year, credit card debt spiked by $154 billion. That was the biggest annual increase since 1999. Now, Bloomberg reported that Americans are increasingly tapping into their retirement savings to cover housing and medical bills. Why? Well, they've gone through their savings. Many households have maxed out their credit cards, and now they're going to the only place they have left. Fidelity Investments released some data that 2.3% of American workers took a hardship withdrawal from their retirement accounts last quarter. That's last quarter. According to Fidelity, the top two reasons given for the uptick were to, one, avoid foreclosure or eviction. I don't have the money to make the mortgage payment or pay the rent. And two, for medical expenses. 2.8% of 401k participants took a loan against their account in the third quarter. And currently, about one in six American workers with a 401k has an outstanding loan on their 401k. Now, keep in mind that we're still seeing the stock market, which is for many 401k investors, the primary place they have their money invested, we're still seeing stocks hold up pretty well. There's still money there to use as collateral for a loan. But if you look at the Buffett indicator, the, the indicator that uh, Warren Buffett now famously said was his favorite to determine if stocks are overvalued or undervalued, this indicator takes the total value of stocks, that's known as market capitalization, and it divides by economic output or gross domestic product. Now, at the time of the tech stock bubble unwinding back in 2000, market capitalization or the total value of stocks was 160% of the economy. Today, it's back to 181%, down from 208% in December of 2021. 
So stock valuations are very high. In my view, that means there's a lot more downside risk in the market than there is upside return potential. So when you put all this together, it tells you that if you use the same planning strategies that have been used for a very long time, there is a very high probability that it won't work for you. That's why I'd like to invite you to get some more information. I'll get you the December 2023 client newsletter where we talk about these predictable economic cycles. You can get that newsletter by going to requestyourreport.com. I'll send it to you at no cost or obligation. And when you do that during the month of December, I'll also get you a copy of the newly revised revenue sourcing book for 2024. It's been completely revised for 2024. I'll get it to you just as soon as it's released. Again, just go to requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to get you all that information. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week. Have a great week.